On October the 31st, 1517, Martin Luther posted 95 big questions which he believed faced the church of his day to a local church door in Wittenberg, Germany. 500 years later, I decided to post 95 new questions, one a week, to the web, questions which I believe the church must face in the 21st century. The Apostle Paul was born into a world where the first Roman Emperor, Augustus, had died just some 20 years beforehand. Augustus had controlled the empire from 27 BC until his death in AD 14 and besides anything else had built an extraordinary PR machine. Rome's writers and poets pictured Augustus, the adopted son of the deified Julius Caesar, as bringing justice not only to Rome, but also to the whole world, of ushering in an era of prosperity through the still famous Pax Romana of Roman peace. This narrative was then enthusiastically sold to the people via the social media of the day, from imperial architecture, monuments and statues, to coins, plays and poems. You just could not miss it. Everywhere the same story was told. It was what Augustus called his gospel for the people. The gospel, the good news that was setting them free. So, for instance, we found an, ins an inscription at Myra, Lycia, which reads, Divine Augustus Caesar, Son of God, Imperator of land and sea, the benefactor and saviour of the whole world has brought you peace. But the Apostle Paul saw through all of this hype to the reality. As a Jew, he'd never believed the imperial story. For him, the Romans were just the latest in a string of foreign invading powers who'd robbed his people of their freedom. As I explored last week in Chalk Talk 72, Paul's cultural narrative was what we call Second Temple Judaism, a story which ached and longed for freedom. And this Jewish heritage was one that he never abandoned. Instead, because of his encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, he simply came to believe that Jesus was the longed-for Jewish liberator, the Jewish Messiah, and that not only that, but also had become the Messiah for the whole world, the true Lord of all. But this king, unlike the Roman Caesar, Paul came to understand, did not rule or lead through acts of violence and subjugation. Instead, he chose to bring true liberation of all men and women through self-sacrifice. So he writes in what we call chapter 2 of his letter to the church in Philippi in this way. In your relationships, he says, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Then he adds, therefore, that's why God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, not Caesar. 
to the glory of God the Father. For Paul, to follow Jesus as king was the ultimate act of political revolution because it was about liberation from the pursuit of power and self-interest rather than liberation through the pursuit of power and self-interest. About liberation from the sword, not liberation with the sword. So if Saul stood before us today, what would he say? The way I see it, too often we make the mistake of believing that Christianity is primarily about intellect, that somehow it's all about believing the right stuff, about having orthodox beliefs that can be written down and stated clearly without hesitation or deviation. Whereas I believe for Paul, being a follower of Christ was about a life-changing commitment to living in a different story, a story of societal revolution, upside-downness. For him, faith was never about disembodied theology and assent to a set of ethereal beliefs. For him, faith in Christ was a way of living, a way of being. And if Paul stood before us today, I believe he would ask us the same questions of the imperial systems of our day, the imperial systems we've placed our trust in. Have they really liberated us or enslaved us? Has our supposed progress really set us free? Have all benefited from the empires of our globalised world or are some disillusioned and disenfranchised by them? And if so, would we have to admit that, driven largely by unfettered capitalism, our version of imperial globalisation is producing great social dislocation and poverty, that it's eroding customs, political processes and ideas, that it's endangering health, that it's turning lush meadows into barren deserts, that it offers no answer to the fact that broken economies, drought and poor harvest, as well as war zones, produce mass migration, which is often not just the logical choice, but perhaps the only choice for those whose loss is the greatest. So, over to you. What do you think about all of this? What does it mean for us to say, Jesus is Lord? Have we misunderstood the Apostle Paul badly? Have we made the mistake of reading his words through our own set of assumptions? Instead, should we begin with Paul's worldview to see things the way he saw them? For instance, what if the idea that we're saved by our faith in Christ is based on a giant misunderstanding, a mistranslation of Paul's words and thinking? In my new book, The Lost Message of Paul, I issue a challenge to grapple with the task of understanding the words of Paul through his culture rather than imposing our modern Western ideas on him. It's released on the 21st of June and you can pre-order it now through the link below.